where we're going as we continue our study in the New Testament letter by Peter, his first one, 1 Peter. We'll be looking at the last half of chapter 2, and it's going to bring us to the table of the Lord and to what Jesus has done for us. Uh, This series is called Living Like Exiles for reasons uh, we'll see again today, uh, because increasingly when Peter wrote these believers in what was what is today central Turkey, it was Asia Minor, they they were feeling less and less like they fit in the culture they were living in, much like is our case. And if, if you like oxymorons, you're going to appreciate the title to the message today. It's called Beautiful Submission. I mean, nobody in our culture is putting those two words together. It's kind of like fried ice, or sometimes they'll say, that was seriously funny. Have you ever thought of that phrase? <laughs> Beautiful Submission. For most people, submission is subjugation, victimization, and abuse. But we're going to see that Jesus calls us to this way of living in the midst of a culture that's watching us really closely, but, but doesn't think we fit anymore. And so in chapter 2 of 1 Peter and verse 11, this is where the whole section begins. Dear friends, Peter writes, and that nicely called them friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, you who increasingly feel like you don't fit in the culture and who belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. As foreigners and exiles, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In other words, at the lifestyle level, you're not going to live the self-indulgence that a lot of people around you do. You, you're going to learn to say no to certain things that ruin your life. You're going to live holy lives. And we talked last week, he talked about the happiness of holiness and rooted holiness in hope. I mean, all of these things. So he's kind of catching up from where he's just been and then just laying that in front of us. We just flat out live differently. I've, I've at times read from the epistle of Diognetes. I think the slide says two. That was my mistake. It's the epistle of Diognetes. He was writing about 150 A.D., when things were getting really bad for Christians, in fact, it was a bloodbath. This is when the Roman Empire was just, just flat out arresting, torturing Christians, feeding them to lions. I mean, it was pretty tough. And Diognetes, not a Christian himself, is writing to a, an unnamed Roman ruler trying to explain the oddity of this Christian community. And he said, they marry as do all others. They beget children but they do not destroy their offspring. They're just different. They, they have a common table, but not a common bed. They don't go that direction of the sinful desires. They live sexually pure lives. They are in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. And they obey the prescribed laws. Speaking of living on earth, they, they obey the prescribed laws. And at the same time, even surpass the laws by their lives. And you can Google this. You can look at the rest of what he writes. He ends up basically saying, and you know what? Everybody hates the Christians, but nobody knows why. Because they live such good lives. But they're hated by everybody. That's why we live like exiles. And so in the very next verse, Peter will go on and say, and he'll talk about just doing that. He'll say, we abstain from sinful desires, but on the other hand, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of wrongdoing, 
You know, and right now we're not near persecution in America, but we are being stereotyped and sidelined right now. And in the stereotypes, I mean, I say to somebody these days, I'm a Christian, and I can't imagine what's going through their head. That means I hate all kinds of people as far as they're concerned. That means my life is just weird. I'm just odd to them. Um, and, and, and it was true in the first century, too. I mean, I mean they, because Christians didn't worship visible idols, they thought Christians were atheists. In fact, they'd feed Christians to the lions, and in the stands, they would chant, away with the atheists. I mean, they believed all kinds of wrong things about, about Christians. And so he says, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Even though they don't know what to do with you and they hate you, your good deeds make them not, not be able to compute all this stuff. That in the end, your good deeds will glorify God on the day he visits us. And so, and so this is Peter suggesting that there are ways in which, although we're sidelined by the culture, we live and feel and are viewed as exiles, there is a way in which within the culture we live transformingly and our lives are marked by good deeds. So now Peter is going to answer two questions from here through the end of the chapter. The first question is, like, how do we do this? And then when you see the answer to that question, you know, you're going to be scratching your head and go, like, why would we do this? And he's going to tell us and bring us right to the cross. So we start with how do we do this? How do we do this? And there it is, the S word, right out of the chute. The next verse, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Submit yourself. And this is what's tough. This is what's, I mean, many people in our culture do not have categories for this. Submit yourself for, for the Lord's sake, not, not for any other reason, but because we sang it today. Our name's now written in heaven. And I am who the great I am says I am. My identity is not defined by human governors or authorities or anything else. My identity is defined by Jesus. And so he releases me to live as if I belong to him. And therefore, it's not beyond me to live cooperatively and submissively with those legitimate authorities that God has put. And, and he says, whether it's that's the emperor or the supreme authority, and these are Romans. I mean, these are people who persecuted Christians. Um, or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Peter, like Paul did in the New Testament, understood that there'd be anarchy without some kind of civil structure, especially law and order. And so he says, for the sake of them being an extension of God's justice in punishing wrongdoers and protecting those who do right, even though the Roman Empire had a very weird way of doing that sometimes. He said, to that degree that they are the extension of God's justice in the earth and they keep anarchy from plaguing human society. He said, you, even though you don't belong to this kingdoms of this world, you submit. There is this, this submissive spirit in you as much as that grates against our spirit. Tim Elmore, I recently heard him speak on this. You can Google it, Tim Elmore. You can see some of his recent books on this, like A New Kind of Diversity. He, he summarizes through all his research the generations uh, um, that and all these generations are represented in this room today. 
And they go back to those of you who were be born before the end of World War II, before 1946. Those, your generation are, is called, the, those are the builders as well as the silent generation. And, and I'm going to run through this very fast. Tim Elmore kind of gives a catchphrase for each generation and then their attitude towards authority. Peter's saying, submit to those who are in authority if you're a radical follower of Jesus. And, and you know the silent and generation, the builder generation, you know, they, they believe you should respect authority. It was easier for preachers back then because people respected authority. They respected the authority of a pastor. They respected the authority of God's word. And back then it was, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it. End of discussion. Because there was this respect for authority. And then the baby boomers, my generation, came along. And their motto was, I deserve better. I deserve better. So I was a teenager in the late 60s. We upset everything. Well, they upset. I wasn't part of this, but I watched it. I was their age, though. And they upset everything. And, you know, like, let's upset the military-industrial complex. Let's, you know, we deserve better than what our parents are giving us. Let's upset the whole system. I heard free love all the time, which translated into, into sexual perversion and drug addiction and every other thing. We really messed our country up during that time. And their attitude was authority was, let's replace them. Rebellion was kind of the motto of that time. Like, as, as they said, we deserve better. So we're going to rebel against all authority. The Gen Xers, who are the children of the boomers, born 65 through 80, uh, you, you know, they realize we can't upset everything. Uh, and so we'll just be cynical. And distrust for religious institutions, distrust for political institutions in the Vietnam era when they were born, in the Watergate era, I mean, just distrust. And then our culture collapsed in, in a kind of meism in on itself, and it just was cynical. And they said, well, whatever authorities are there, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're just going to endure them, uh, put up with them, kind of roll our eyes at them and be cynical. And then the millennials came along, a generation at least as large as the baby boomers. And uh, th this, this millennial generation, of course, grew up during the advent of the information superhighway and the internet and, and life became a cafeteria. Suddenly, this generation, if you're a millennial, you grew up with choices that my generation even didn't grow up with as a baby boomer. I mean, you had access to information everywhere. You could take everything I say in a sermon, and while you're sitting there on your phone, you can check whether it's right. I mean, you just have access, you have choices, you have everything. And so this is how it morphed our attitudes towards authority. Like, authority is just who I choose to be authority in my life. And truth became not what's absolute. Truth became what it feels right, what feels right to me. That is my truth. I choose my truth, and I choose what authorities I listen to or don't listen to. Now the Gen Zers. We've got a bunch of Gen Zers in the, in the building today, uh, built, uh, born uh, between 97 and 2012. And this is the generation that, ap that would live through COVID. This is a generation that would live through social media. This is a generation with, with such high rates of depression and suicide and, and, and mental um, mental anxiety and even mental illness. This is, this is a generation that feels quite insecure, actually. And they're hoping, but, but they're just coping. And their attitude towards authority is like, I don't think I even need authority. I'm just trying to cope with life, and where does this go? So in that little overview, my purpose of that was to see how the, how, how the change in attitudes 
from generation to generation have taken place. However, we do not live in a value system dictated by generational perceptions. We live, I know you don't want to hear this perhaps, but we live under the authority of the creator and his word. And, and even though by this point, submission is, is a very hated word in our culture because it implies authority that usually will end up being abusive and victimizing of me. I mean, God's word, I mean, Peter just says, let's read it again, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And as much as that grates against us, there's gonna be some good reason. And in fact, he starts unpacking that reason three verses later. We're just gonna skip ahead three verses later, verse 16. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, live as God's slaves. In other words, we're to submit out of our freedom towards a better society, cooperating with authority, we're to submit to that, but we do it for the Lord's sake, he said, because we're God's slaves. We're, we're free people. He has set us free, but don't use your freedom to sow anarchy, to disrespect other people, to do all of these things. Now, during the Civil War, there's a story that emerged of a man from the north who went south, went to a slave auction, as horrendous as that thought even is, and he bought a slave, a young slave girl. He paid for her and bought her. As they were walking away from the auction, the man told, turned to that young girl and said, you're free. You're free now. She, she couldn't hardly believe her ears. With amazement, she said, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And you mean, I'm free to say whatever I want to say? Whatever I want to say, yes. Yeah, you're. And to be whatever I want to be, yep, the guy said. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, the man answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. And the girl looked at him just stunned. And then a moment of realization, and she said, if I can go wherever I want, then I'm going with you. <laughs> and Jesus has freed us. Jesus has made us new. He said, when I say, in other words, Peter is saying, when you submit for the Lord's sake and you now are free, you do not submit at all with a sense of victimization. You do not submit in any way with a sense that I am being suppressed but you are free because you're God's slaves, first of all. And like we did sing, I am who the I am that I am says I am. I mean, my identity is radically reshifted. I live in this world, I'm feeling more like an exile in this world, but I am not defined as a person by this world. I mean, I'm not defined by my generation. I'm not defined by my skin color. I'm not defined by my gender in terms of Jesus purchasing me with his shed blood and making me free. 
And because he's freed me, I'm saying, oh God, I want to stay close to you. And therefore, I'm nobody's victim. I'm nobody's victim. Now there's room for, as he said, submit to the governing authorities. Listen to me carefully. There's room for civil disobedience. Peter, who's writing this, is the same guy in Acts chapter 4 when the religious leaders said, the people in authority said to him, don't you ever preach in Jesus' name in this city of Jerusalem again. It was Peter that looked him in the eye and said, oh, you tell me, who should I obey, you or God? And so he kept preaching. He disobeyed them. I mean, there's a place. And he's saying, submit to the degree that, that, that the, the civil and, and human authorities will, will let you um, behave as a good citizen without disobeying the laws of God. And if you are in an abusive marriage right now and your husband or your wife is beating you up and you're just in a horrendously abusive situation and your children are dangerous, Peter is not saying stay in that situation like sometimes pastors tell people to stay. In fact, in Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he says you're free. And, and he says to slaves, even if you're free, even if you're a slave and you have the chance to get your freedom, take your freedom. But if you don't have this chance for your freedom and you're still a slave, an institution which Paul or Peter could never upend back uh, uh, two, two millennia ago, I mean, they, the, 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 he, says, he says, if you can't get your freedom, you may stay a slave, but don't look at yourself a slave, as a slave because you are free. I'd translate that to say, you've got a toxic boss. Your company's not very healthy. And to whatever degree the mission of your company doesn't violate your conscience, like it's, it's contracting with a porno uh, company or something like that, or, 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 or it's perpetuating abuse or things that are clearly evil. I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're, so to the degree your company's okay that way, but you may have a toxic boss. A lot of you work for bosses that aren't very good. They're not very healthy. There's a lot of dysfunctional people out there and they don't know how to lead very well. I mean, I mean we've all worked for people like that. And you know what? Um, he is saying, he is saying, you know what? You're free now. You've been purchased and you're free. And, and so you submit yourself out of free will and you do it as Jesus' slave. That's why I sometimes say to employees, you know what? You get to fire your boss. I mean, you don't get to literally fire him, but in your heart, you fire your boss because you're not working for that guy or that gal anyway. I mean, they may be wonderful leaders or they may be fairly dysfunctional, but you're going to work because Jesus is now your boss. You're Jesus' slave. And everybody else is standing around the water cooler complaining about their bosses and griping about the company. But you know what? You're not serving them. You're not working for them anyway. You're working for Jesus because you belong to him. You're not anybody's victim, even though they may be doing, making you feel bad some days. You know what? If you can get out of the job, get out of it. But God's word gives you plenty of freedom to do that. But as long as you're there, you know what? You reframe this. I mean, you may even want to take coffee to that rather toxic boss some morning. And if he's really bad, you may want to, Buy a donut for him, too. And just, just watch what happens to him. And, and then you may, instead of wasting all your emotional and mental energy 
griping about the company. I mean, start thinking about what your boss really needs and where they're really trying to go. And then do something without being asked to help serve that end. I mean, he's saying, if you follow Jesus who has set you free and you truly are God's slave, you don't need to intentionally keep yourself in abusive situations, but where you are in this broken world, you're there as God's slave and serving him. And so, he's gonna put some meat on those bones in the next few, week, in the next few verses and, and say, for instance, for instance, this will probably mean, first of all, that you have in your life this attitude of respect with honor. Respectful. Respect with honor. Verse 17, the next verse. So he's kind of unpacking this, right? You're God's slave. You don't serve people. You're free. So don't use your freedom to do wrong things and undermine people, but, but submit to the authorities. He says, this means you're going to show proper respect for everybody. Just say that word respect with me once. Respect. I mean, what happened to that word in our culture? Respect to everyone. And love the family of believers. Thank God for that. And fear God. He's going to be our judge. So you tremble ever being outside of his will because he loves you so much. And he freed you and you want to stay close to him. And even honor the empire. They couldn't, emperor, they couldn't even vote for the emperor 2,000 years ago. And the emperor was a, a tyrant usually. But he said there's something in us as we live in the human order of things that is willing to keep our attitudes in check and be respectful with honor. Now this past week, uh, the airline I fly a lot with just dropped one leg of a trip I'm taking in two months overseas, and it would leave me stranded in Qatar. Not a bad place to be stranded, but I needed to get to Jordan. And they just dropped the flight and didn't tell me anything about it. So, so I'm on the phone for the longest time trying to get somebody to figure this out and get me back. And Sandy was in the same room. She overheard me, and she, she said, you're always so nice to them. Now, I want to say, I'd like to say it's because I'm God's slave and I'm nobody's victim, therefore. So I'll be nice to everybody. But the truth is, I've seen people yell at gate agents and flight attendants. And the truth is, they temporarily hold your life in their hands. And I'm going, I'm not going to make this person angry because they could put me on the back of the plane in a middle seat. I mean, they could do this to me or leave me stranded in another country. My, my daughter, my, our, our oldest daughter, worked last night at a level one trauma hospital as a charge nurse uh, in that emergency area. And um, she calls Sandy every morning like she did this morning on her, as she drives from home, home from work. And uh, I tell you, working night shift in a downtown big city hospital in trauma you see everything. And she tells me, she tells us, some, some of our hearts break. She'll talk about, she said last night, yeah, all these people were just cursing me out. They're just cursing me out. And she'll even say, they spit at me, they slap me, they bit me. And I understand you're sick, you've been waiting six hours in the emergency lobby, and yeah, I understand 
you're not at your best. But I want to tell you, our culture is permeated with disrespect. And there again, I go, I would never do that to somebody who had the power to put a needle in me in very painful ways <laughs> if she wanted to. I mean, you know, there's good functional reasons to stay respectful, you know, because people know how to do tit for tat but, and still stay within the law. But I want to tell you, you're God's slave. You're nobody's victim. You belong to him. And we show respect to everybody with honor. And then here's where it gets especially hard. It's courage without offense. It's courage without offense. I don't know you, but you, but about you, but I find myself editing my words constantly. It's like walking on, walking on eggshells with people these days. It's like this, you say the slightest thing in the, so, wrong, in the wrong way, and they're just totally offended. And I mean, sometimes I just don't say things to people because I'm not sure I can put it just the right way where it'll be misinterpreted. I mean, my, my, my intention usually not to offend anybody. I sometimes have to confront people and it's rare that I can confront people anymore without them just being offended rather than trying to listen to the truth. But, you know, this, this idea of living in a highly offendable culture um, is really tough. But... But look, look at where he's going to go. I'm going to turn that around. Courage without offense. What if you're the one who has been offended? What if you're the one who's been offended? And you've been freed by Jesus and you're God's slave. What's happening inside of you? Here he goes. Slaves in reverent fear of God. So there it is again with God in mind in light of your new identity in Jesus. Submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate. Now, once again, slavery is awful. These slaves, with the word he uses here, would not be the worst of slaves. These would be more like household slaves. Sometimes they actually function as part of the family. But they were still considered as property, and sometimes they'd be treated abusively. They weren't the worst of what we understand slavery to be from American history, but, but it was bad. It's not right. There's no way Peter can turn over the institution of slavery single-handedly, but he's got people in church who have that status of slaves. And so he's saying, here's what it looks like to live submissive as a free person. He says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. First of all, the easy part, not only to those who are good and considerate, and some of their masters were good and considerate, but, and this is, I can hardly get over this one, but also those who are harsh, harsh. as being nobody's victim and in a situation where you can't get yourself out of an abusive situation. He says, this idea of submission tames something of retaliation in your heart. That's what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, if they slap you on one side, turn the other cheek too. If he takes your, your coat, give him your shirt too. I mean, Jesus is just using kind of hyperbole, just shock value. He, he's trying to say, what is this in us that is so unsubmissive? What is this in us that we're always fighting for our rights, we're always fighting, and, and we're always fighting to get even, and we're always fighting to retaliate, and we just won't forgive people? I mean, he is saying, if you're God's slave, I mean, this attitude, even though you don't fit in our world anymore, and people can't figure you out, you, you are full of good deeds and, and you're going to be gracious back even when you're 
victimized by injustice. Even when they treat you harshly, and they shouldn't. There's something of a Jesus spirit that comes back. And it's, it's here that he's going to set us up for communion. Because it's here that he is, after, especially that last phrase, submit yourself even to those who are harsh with you. I mean, here's why we ask the question, like, why would we want to do this in the first place? I mean, why? Why would we want to do this? And he's going to answer that question. For it, verse 19, the next verse. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. Because you know who you serve. Because you're conscious of what he's done in your life. Because, the word there can be translated mindful. Because it's like... You know, you just do. You just stop for a minute. You take a deep breath. Just relax. And you think, no, I belong to Jesus. I'm his representative. I'm nobody's victim. And uh, when, when we're suffering unjustly, but we bear up in it under that pain because we're conscious of God. We're not retaliating like everybody else. Because he says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable to God. I hear nobody in my world saying that. In some suffering, I mean, we suffer for a lot of reasons, some because we're foolish. And we're eating at the consequences of our foolish mistakes. But there's also evil people out there. And uh, they don't care about justice when it comes to you and me. And they need to assert their own agenda. And we get used and abused. But he says, to this you were called, verse 21. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Oh, come on, Peter. You mean you are saying that part of my calling to stay close to Jesus is the calling to actually suffer and stay submissive in my spirit when it's unjust and I can't change it? Yes, Peter's saying. For verse 22, Jesus, he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't threaten back. In fact, you'll hang on the cross and say, Jesus, forgive them. God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't retaliate. That's what I love about forgiveness. It defies the power of past events. It defies past events from having any kind of power over our present um, because we don't live as a victim of those. We don't live as a victim of what people said to us or not said to us, done to us or not done to us. We are God's slaves. He has set us free. And here's how Jesus lived that out. He actually suffered injustice, but he didn't seek revenge. Instead, he knew who he was. And he entrusted himself to him 
who judges justly. Sometimes when I forgive people, I feel like I'm letting them off the hook. No. When you forgive people, you're letting them off your hook and putting them on God's hook. Because it's God's, it's God's place to judge. And Jesus committed himself to the God who had the final word. And he, told, he chose not to take that into his own hands. And Peter is saying, so Jesus is our example. His example teaches us to do the same thing. Because, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. That's stunning. We think submission leads to loss of self. Jesus' submission leads to life. And submission is free people as followers and slaves of God, we live above it by the power of his spirit. There's something different in our character and life flows out of us just like Jesus.